Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hi YouTube, it's Joshua Miles and welcome back to my channel. Today's video is going to be yet another solo. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com of case for my curious case series make sure you're subscribed to this channel and that you've hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time that i post a brand new curious case episode save big money when you start your next project today at menards convert your current recessed lighting with energy saving led downlights from fight electric they're bright and install easily in just minutes they also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch save big on all fight lighting products now at menards shop our lighting options today in store and on menards.com save big money at just like this one. If you have any cases that you want to be covered on this channel, then head over to requestacase.com and send in your case submissions there. And with all that being said, let's delve right into this case. If I were to say heavy metal music, I'm sure a picture of loud music, aggressive crowds and drugs races through your mind. Despite a lot of the stereotypes surrounding heavy metal music being just a stereotype, there are some bands and some subgenres of heavy metal that really do live up to that reputation. And in a tale of international newfound musical success, church burnings, suicide and murder, Let's discuss the case of Euronymous. Now, Euronymous was actually a stage name for a man called Watson Orshit. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, I'll put it on the screen 
Um, and he was born on Friday, the 22nd of March, 1968, in Sorandal, Norway. We're going to be referring to him as his stage name in this episode for simplicity's sake. Now, not all too much is known about his upbringing, which added an extra atmosphere of mystery to his character. We do know that his parents remained in his life throughout the course of this case and played an active role in, for lack of a better word, kind of his management, kind of. In 1983, while Euronymous was living in Oslo, he met a man called Jean Stubberud. I'll put that on screen now, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. Whose stage name was Necro Butcher, and as soon as the pair met, their shared love for the bands Motorhead and Venom, both bands that I'm sure you've heard of, brought them together. It was as they were discussing this love for those bands that they agreed and decided that they wanted to start their own band. Though, despite their shared love, their ideas for the band were vastly different. Necro Butcher was very much into the heavy metal mentality of drugs and would frequently go out and party and use illegal substances. Euronymous, on the other hand, oftentimes stayed at home, writing letters and listening to artists such as Brian Eno, who was a British musician who made more ambient rock style music. The band that they formed was called Mayhem, and the music they wanted to make was nothing like anything Norway had ever seen before. The Norwegian black metal scene was practically non-existent, and they initially had a lot of difficulty booking gigs and finding a stage to perform on. The band had brought in a drummer called Mannheim, with Euronymous being the guitarist and Necro Butcher being the bassist. As they had been rarely able to play live, they got their start by recording demos on cassette tapes, which they traded with other bands. They also promoted their bands through fanzines, which are fan-made publications that were also traded. And it wasn't long before they started to form an audience, who they would sell the demo cassettes to via mail order. Their audience wasn't just forming in their home country of Norway, but also in places such as Russia, China, Australia, and America. To sing the vocals on these demo cassettes, the band hired two vocalists who went by the stage names of Messiah and Maniac, bringing Messiah into the band in 1986, but he ultimately quit by the end of that year, and then Maniac in 1987. Though it is important to note that it was Euronymous who sang the lead vocals to begin with. Their ethos was rallying against religion, and in particularly, Christianity. The band Mayhem describes themselves as Satanists and heavily used satanic imagery, though if you know about the Satanist religion, their beliefs don't align with the beliefs of this band. In 1987, Euronymous actually founded his own record label, which he called Post Corpse Musical, later to be renamed Deathlike Silence Productions. In 1988, a drummer named Hellhammer joined the band after Mannheim had quit, shortly followed by a vocalist called Per O. Per Olin was born on the 16th of January 1969 in Stockholm, Sweden. And when I tell you that his hobbies and interests are a little bit on the strange side, I mean it. He was described by those who knew him as having a very morbid personality and having 
an obsession with the concept of death. In fact, when he was a child, he contracted an illness, which brought him very, very close to death, though he managed to recover. However, he believes that he was actually now, in fact, dead and now lived in a different world. And because of this, he went by the stage name of Dead. Dead had met Euronymous through Euronymous's letters, and Euronymous had actually written and become pen pals with quite a number of people. But upon learning about Dead in more detail, Euronymous thought it would be the perfect match for the band. Dead reportedly carried around a dead crow in a jar, which he would open and inhale the fumes from so he could always perform with the stench of death in his nostrils. He also frequently made shirts with funeral announcements printed on them, and even buried his own clothing only to be dug up later so that he could perform smelling of death. Dead is also, according to some sources, one of the first people to use corpse paint in his performances. Corpse paints is essentially makeup that is worn to make you look like a corpse. Dead's obsession with death wasn't just a stage persona either. It was something that was a part of who he was as a person. And Dead's personality and outrageous image made the band's gigs notorious within the Norwegian black metal community. Anyone who was in that scene was very much aware of the band and its reputation. They had an image of taking it to the next level, and Dead stopped at nothing to further this obsession with death on the stage. He would cut himself on stage with shards of broken glass and hunting knives, which always garnered cheers from the crowd, encouraging the behavior. Further and more disgustingly, the band began to bring the decapitated heads of sheep and pigs on stage with them when they performed, staking them on mic stands and throwing them into the audience at the end of a gig. It wasn't long before the band had enough money to move into a house together, and they had found an old house in a forest just outside of Oslo, where they decided they would all live and rehearse and write their music. They moved to the house in 1990 and immediately began working on their first experimental album. It's important to note that up until this point, they hadn't yet released an album, only these demo tapes. The band, though, despite having enough money to rent this house, didn't have much left over to buy basics like food. Euronymous would constantly tell the bands that they were going to be very rich one day and they just had to wait for their big break. He was a big dreamer. Now, interestingly, despite being the one who invited Dead to join the band, Euronymous did everything he could to make him feel uncomfortable. On one occasion, Euronymous had been playing this synth music really loudly in his room, which Dead absolutely hated. And so Dead had taken his pillow outside to go sleep in the woods to get away from it. Euronymous had then decided to go shoot his shotgun at birds in the woods, which kept Dead awake. He couldn't sleep in the house, and he couldn't sleep in the woods. Dead suffered from depression, and as I'm sure you've gathered, he was a very dark person. And despite his mental health, he moved from Sweden to Norway, far away from his home and any friends he might have had there to join the band and any support network. Dead also wasn't the kind of person who easily made friends or really attempted to make friends. And this meant that he had begun to grow very lonely, locking himself in his room, becoming more and more depressed. 
According to some sources, at one point, Dead actually stabbed Euronymous with a knife. Dead also interestingly sent his bandmates ammunition shells as gifts for Christmases and birthdays. Uh, and he he told one of his bandmates that he was saving one of his uh, ammunition shells for his own death. And it wasn't as if the band didn't have any weapons in their house. They had an array of guns and knives to keep them entertained, for lack of a better phrase. Dead's depression, however, got worse and worse. And Euronymous played on this and would constantly tell him that nobody liked him and that he should just kill himself. And sadly, Dead did just that. On the 8th of April 1991, the band hadn't been at the house they shared, leaving Dead alone there. And when Euronymous returned back to the house, he discovered Dead's body. The band actually only had one key to the house they shared, and when Euronymous had returned that day, he had found the house to be locked. The only window that was open was the one in Dead's room, and so to get back into the house, Euronymous had to climb through it. It was as he climbed through the window that he found Dead's body slumped against the wall. Dead had slashed his own wrists using a butcher's knife from the band's extensive weapons collection, and he had used Euronymous's shotgun to shoot himself in the head. He left a suicide note that read, Excuse all the blood. Nobody will ever understand this, but as a sort of explanation, I am not human. This is only a dream, and soon I will awake. I didn't come up with this now, but 17 years ago. Let the party begin. The note further has lyrics of the song Life Eternal attached to it. After discovering this note and Dead's body, Euronymous did something that was very, very weird. Instead of phoning for the police straight away, he left the house and drove to a nearby store to purchase a disposable camera. He then returned to the house to photograph Dead's corpse. According to some sources, he even rearranged items in the room for the photographs. Further to this, he collected bits of Dead's brain matter and fragments of his skull, which he would later use to make a stew from the brain matter and a necklace from the skull fragments. It was only after he had finished his collection of samples and photography session that he decided to phone for the police. After which, he then phoned Hellhammer, who was the replacement drummer in the band, to tell him what had happened. Here's an extract from the book Lord of Chaos, which features an interview with Hellhammer. Me and Euronymous and Dead were living in an old house outside of Oslo where we rehearsed, but I was at my parents' house in Oslo when it happened. I was planning to go back, but Euronymous called me and said, you can't go back because police have closed the house. Why? I said. Because Dead has gone home. He went back to Sweden? I asked. No, he blew his brains out. Euronymous then phoned up Necro Butcher, the band's co-founder and bassist, to tell him what had happened. And that conversation was just as strange as the one he had with Hellhammer. Euronymous called me up the next day, recalls Necro Butcher, and says, Dead has done something really cool. He killed himself. I thought, have you lost it? What do you mean cool? He says, relax, I have photos of everything. I was in shock and grief. 
He was just thinking about how to exploit it. So I told him, okay, don't even call me before you destroy those photos. But Euronymous didn't destroy the pictures and instead asked Hellhammer to go get them developed, which he did. The pictures were in full color and showed the suicide in graphic details taken from a range of angles. When Euronymous had been given the developed photos back, he began to show them off to his friends and other bandmates. According to some sources, Necro Butcher would later tell the media that he believed that Euronymous lived in this fantasy fictional world in his head, and by forcing others to see what he had seen, that was his way of coping with the shock and grief. Euronymous, after backlash from his bandmates, then promised to destroy the photographs. Dead's suicide was a critical turning point for Euronymous, as it triggered a change in his mentality and saw him become obsessed with all things satanic and evil. He moved back into Oslo two months after Dead's death and opened a shop with the name of Helveti, which translates to Hell. The shop was decorated satanically with medieval weapons hung on the black walls and a polystyrene tombstone in the window of the shop. The photographs that he had promised to destroy earlier were secretly kept in an envelope in the shop. Euronymous also ran his record label, which he had now named two Deathlike Silence Productions from the basement of the shop, which saw his bandmates frequently hanging out there along with other people in the Norwegian black metal scene. Not only did Euronymous's mentality change, so did his looks. According to an article interviewing Necro Butcher, Euronymous began to create a persona as the embodiment of an ancient evil. Promo photos from the time show him dressed in a black cloak holding a rapier. The corpse paint has become more stylized, his gaze distant and remote. He looks like a character from a German expressionist movie. Euronymous had also invited his pen pals to come and work in his shop, including a young man who, when they had first started talking, was 13 years old. He began to surround himself with a lot of yes-men, and the group he was involved with began to create this idea of hatred and frustration towards the rest of the world. The hates for Christianity grew and developed. Euronymous had also begun telling people that Dead had committed suicide because he believed that black metal had become trendy and commercialised. At some point in 1991, Necro Butcher had enough. He was stricken with the grief and shock from the loss of his bandmate and was furious at Euronymous's actions, and so he left the band, which left just two people in mayhem. Euronymous and Hellhammer. As I previously mentioned, Euronymous would frequently have people come and hang out at his shop from the black metal scene, including members of other bands in the genre. One of these members was a man called Louis Cachette. He also went by Varg Vikernus and Count Grishnak as his stage names. Louis had been born on the 11th of February 1973 in Bergen, Norway, and had been in bands since the age of 14. By 1991, Louis had formed a one-man band called Burzum, which was a band that would go on to be one of the most influential acts in the history of black metal. 
This was despite the fact that Burzum has never and had never played a single live show. It's unclear when exactly Euronymous first met Louis, but they quickly began frequently hanging out at his shop along with another man who went by the name of Blackthorn. Louis soon became Dead's replacement in the band Mayhem playing the bass guitar, and Blackthorn was then brought in as the rhythm guitarist. They also met and hired a Hungarian-born singer called Attila Kishar to be the vocalist. There are a lot of names in this case, so I'm just going to quickly recap the important names for the remainder of this episode. So in the band uh, Mayhem, there remains Euronymous as the guitarist, Hellhammer as the drummer, Louis aka Count Grishnak on the bass guitar, uh, Blackthorn as the rhythm guitarist, and Attila as the vocalist. I'm going to refer to Louis as his real name for the remainder of this episode just for simplicity's sake. And it's Louis that plays a major role in the remainder of this case. He was described as being a person that always stood out from the crowd. He never drank alcohol at parties, preferring to drink cartons of milk, and was, by all accounts, a very productive and enthusiastic person when it came to music. Euronymous was actually five years older than Louis, and when Louis joined the band, Euronymous brought him under his wing. Euronymous even signed Louis' one-man band Burzum to his record label Death Like Silence Productions, but their friendship soon morphed into a competitive rivalry. Louis was recording and producing two albums a year for Burzum, while Euronymous was struggling to finish Mayhem's first full album. This quickly meant that Euronymous began to see Louis as his rival, and their rivalry wasn't just a creative one it also became a competition for who could be more evil. On the 6th of June 1992, Louis took the band's hatred for Christianity to the next level. He travelled to Bergen and set alight a 12th century church called Fantoft Stave Church. This would be just the first church burnings by many members of the black metal scene in Norway. It was initially believed by the authorities that Fantoft Stave Church had burnt down due to a lightning strike or electrical failure, but as seven further churches were burnt down between June 1992 and January of 1993, it quickly became clear to the authorities and media that there was a direct attack taking place. During this period, Euronymous had actually closed his shop in Oslo, citing police suspicion as his reasoning, though it would later emerge that it was actually his parents who had instructed him to do so. In January of 1993, not long after the last burning of a church in Norway, Louis invited a reporter from a local Oslo newspaper to his apartment. His apartment was a loft apartment and was decorated with paraphernalia, weapons, and satanic symbols. The windows in the apartment had all been blacked out with carpets. It was described as entering a different world when you step foot in the apartments, like walking into hell itself. Louis then spoke to this reporter and proudly informed them on record that it was the black metal scene that had burnt down the churches and that they had declared war on Christianity and Norwegian society. He further told the reporter that they intended to continue their campaign of terror against Christianity. On top of all this, Louis claims the black metal scene to have been responsible for the murder of a man in Lylehammer. We'll come back to this in a moment. After this article was released, the police began to try to find any evidence that could directly 
directly link Louis to the Fantoft Stave Church arson attack, but were unable to find anything. Though in 1993, Louis released a EP for his one-man band, and this EP was called Ashes, and it featured a photograph of the Fantoft Stave Church burnt, burnt down um, in, in, in ashes, which is why I guess the EP was called Ashes as the album art. It is believed that Louis had taken that photograph himself. This article placed a massive magnifying glass on the black metal scene in Norway from both the authorities and the media. The Norwegian authorities were quick to bring the band Mayhem, its associates and other bands in the black metal scene in for questioning. They even set up a specialized task force just to investigate the criminal happenings going on in the black metal scene. The police began to suspect from these interrogations that Necro Butcher had actually been responsible for the church burnings, but they had no real evidence against him. Necro Butcher would later reveal in an interview with The Guardian that he and Hellhammer had both been against the church burnings. He also reveals that he had met a girl at a party who he had taken back to his place and the following morning she had told him that she had in fact burnt down some of the churches the police had suspected him of destroying. Necro Butcher later described this girl to have been a black metal girl at the time who was now a but these church burnings were not by any means the most evil action taken by the band Mayhem, and surprisingly it was neither Euronymous or Louis who took it to the next level. One of the people that Euronymous had been pen pals with and had hired to work at his shop, the same young man who had been 13 when he had first started talking with Euronymous, was called, I'm going to put it on the screen, uh, I'm just going to refer to him as uh, Ithan in this episode. Ithan had been visiting his family in Lylehammer on the 21st of August 1992 and had gone to a local pub to hang out, though on his way back home from the pub he passed through the Olympic Park, which was a popular gay cruising spot at the time. Ithan was approached by a man called Magni Anderson, who was drunk and he asked Ithan for sex. Ithan said sure and they walked together into the nearby woods. That was when Ithan pulled out a knife and stabbed Magni 37 times. Even after Magni had been murdered, he continued to kick him in the head. Ithan returned to Oslo the following day and the murder actually went cold for about a year. He had told Euronymous, Louis and other people in the black metal scene what he had done and he expressed and showed no remorse whatsoever. The police wouldn't find out that he was responsible till the year after when uh, he was brought to trial and sentenced for the murder. Following Louis's article and the subsequent media spotlight on the band, the European press quickly began to associate the church burnings and the black metal scene with theistic Satanism. Louis, Mayhem and other bands began to gain a cult following and many people began to idolise them. Some copycat church burnings also followed as a result. According to an article on Miss Mephis Top palace.com it was these church burnings that allows louis to exercise an insatiable need for control the church burnings had been the first step for his learning process of instrumental aggressing instrumental aggression is the act of utilizing force or violence to obtain a readily apparent goal such as power money uh, sexual gratification and louis in this recurring case 
was social power. Louis even shared after the church burnings to those in the black circle that he would not ever be caught for what he had done because he had gained the respect in the Norwegian black metal scene. Thus, nobody would dare to expose him of his actions. Through the power he had gained from the church burnings, it allowed him to live his fantasies as this master of the universe that he desired to attain. But despite his newfound fame, which brought a lot of attention to his one-man band, Burzum, he still was in the shadow of Euronymous, who many in the scene hailed to be the leader. And it became common knowledge that this rivalry between Louis and Euronymous would eventually result in bodily harm or even death. They knew that there was no avoiding a final fight between the pair that could result in neither of their deaths. And you can't forget that Louis's band Burzum was still signed to Euronymous's record label, which further concreted his position as the leader of the scene. Euronymous was still very threatened by Louis, and due to this insecurity, he began to send death threats to him. According to one source, Euronymous had wanted to start focusing more on the business side of music, and had become increasingly annoyed at Louis for developing and um, further creating this edgy and scary image by burning down churches and being violent. Louis was very much aware that Euronymous wanted him gone, and he had told people that Euronymous was just a poser and he wasn't true to the scene. He began to make plans to get Euronymous removed and kicked from the community. This played on one of Euronymous's biggest securities, that people didn't see him to be genuine and that he had to prove he was part of the Norwegian black metal scene. All this came to a climax when, in August of 1993, Euronymous sent a death threat to Louis that stated, I'm going to send people to torture you until you die. Louis allegedly saw this as a real threat and decided that he would much rather it be Euronymous that died than him. And so on the night of the 10th of August, 1993, Louis travels to Euronymous's apartment with fellow Mayhem band member Blackthorn. Louis had asked Blackthorn to come with him to Euronymous's apartment for moral support, but Blackthorn agreed to be to go with him, but he refused to go inside. When they arrived at the apartment, Louis rang the intercom doorbell and asked to come in, though Euronymous said that he didn't want to and he had just gone to bed. Louis had brought a contract along with him that Euronymous had sent to him to sign, and he told Euronymous over the intercom that he had brought this contract with him. And so Louis was let into the apartment. Blackthorn remained in the stairwell of the building, smoking a cigarette, waiting for Louis to return. And when he did, Louis was covered in blood. He had stabbed Euronymous 23 times. They then fled the scene of the crime and disposed of the murder weapon in a small pond on the drive back home. Euronymous's death rippled through the black metal uh, scene at top speed, and it was obvious to a lot of people that Louis had been the one responsible. Somebody in the black metal scene after the murder had been reported on the news and the authorities were asking for Anybody with any information to come forward went to the police and told them that Louis was responsible. Louis was arrested a few days later on the 19th of August 1993. The majority of the more prominent people in the black metal scene were also arrested and questioned in connection to not only the murders, 
but also the church burnings. This included Blackthorn and another person who was aware that Louis had planned the murder. It wasn't long before holes began to appear in Blackthorn's and Louis's stories after intensive interrogations lasting over seven hours. When Louis was arrested and his home was searched, they actually found 150 kilograms of explosives and over 3,000 rounds of ammunition. According to the Encyclopedia of White Power, Louis had intended to blow up a location popular with radical leftists and anarchist communities. The trial against Louis began on the 2nd of May 1994, and he claims that he hadn't intended to murder Euronymous. He told the courts they had gone to the apartment to hand Euronymous the contract, and when he stepped forward and confronted Euronymous about some royalty money that he owed him, Euronymous panicked and kicked him in the chest. Euronymous then ran into the kitchen and grabbed a knife. Louis and Euronymous then, according to Louis, got into a fight which resulted in Louis getting a knife from Euronymous and stabbing him to death. He also claims that Blackthorn had only come along to show Euronymous some new guitar riffs. Blackthorn also testified in court and he reveals the true story of how it had been a premeditated murder, the account that we discussed earlier. The prosecution focused on the facts that Louis had asked a third person to stay in his apartment on the night of the murder, rent films and use his credit card to make it seem as if he had remained at home. This, along with Blackthorn's testimony and the testimony of some others, and due to a fingerprint found in blood at the apartment that was identified to belong to Louis, was enough for the jury in the trial to reach a verdict. On the 16th of May 1994, Louis was found guilty for the murder of Euronymous, for arson of three churches, for attempted arson of a fourth church, and for the theft and storage of 150 kilograms of explosives. He was sentenced to the maximum sentence in Norway, which is just 21 years. Blackthorn was found guilty of being an accomplice to a homicide and was sentenced to eight years imprisonment. And this case doesn't just end with those convictions. The band's Mayhem had been set to release their first debut album right before Euronymous's murder and had to postpone it as a result. They actually released the album the same month of Louis' sentencing, which featured Euronymous playing the electric guitar and Louis playing the bass guitar. On the 17th of February 1995, a bootleg album that had recordings of Mayhem's live performances from a show in 1990 was released by Warmaster Records in South America. Euronymous had actually been in contact with Warmaster Records prior to his death, and remember those photographs he took of Dead's body? He sent one of them to Warmaster Records, who then used the image as the album art for a bootleg album. I'm going to show a censored version of this album art on screen now. Please skip ahead about 10 seconds if you don't wish to see it or revert your eyes. There's also a link in the description to the Wikipedia article that has the uncensored version. Putting it on screen now. As you can see, the image is graphic and horrific in nature, and it was extremely controversial when it was released for obvious reasons. Okay, the image is now off the screen. This case is one that deeply disturbs me on every level. Perhaps this is part in due to a lack of education and experience of the black metal scene, but it is definitely something that I would deem as very extremist and radical in nature. It's important to note that Nazism was also associated with the band and its members, and 
This case is just a really sad and evil one. After Louis and Blackthorn's arrest and Euronymous's murder, there were only two band members left in Mayhem, and the band kind of faded into the history books for about a year. They reformed in 1994 with the old members Hellhammer, Maniac, and Necrobutcher, along with a new member to take Euronymous's place. They began to release new music and tour through Europe, and was and still are very successful. Their top five records on Spotify all have over a million streams and they are still active to this day. Louis himself also has a further backstory connection with Neonism, but I honestly feel like you get the picture of what his character is like. On the 22nd of May 2009, Louis was released from prison on probation. He then made a YouTube channel titled Thulian Perspective, where he posts about European pagan mythology and his political views. He got married to a French woman in the early 2010s, and he was actually one of the people who was sent the manifesto of the man who killed 77 people, mostly teenagers and children, in the 2011 Norway attacks. This manifesto had been sent out prior to the attacks and he just ignored it. On the 16th of July 2013, both Louis and his wife were arrested after his wife had purchased four firearms. The authorities believed they were planning acts of terrorism, but his wife actually had a firearms permit and due to that the charges against her were eventually dropped. Louis was however charged with inciting racial hatred against Jews and Muslims due to his online posts and he was convicted in July of 2014 and sentenced to 16 months probation and an 8,000 euro fine. Louis's YouTube channel was deleted in June of 2019 due to his neo-Nazi views but he remains active on Twitter. He actually released an album in March of this year, 2020, under his one-man band's name, Burzum. And that's really everything that I have for you in today's case. This one is really one that takes you to a land of horror and nightmares and a lifestyle that the majority of us are so far removed from. Let me know what you think down in the comments section below. Make sure you're subscribed to this channel and you've hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new Curious Case episode just like this one. My social media handles are both at It's Joshua Miles if you're interested in seeing what goes on behind the scenes. I also have a second channel which isn't true crime related and is more just stuff about me and videos I feel don't really fit in with this channel but I still want to make so you can go find a link to that in the description and pinned comment below and with all that being said i'll see you in the next case For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. 
Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.